This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what? I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune, I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn effortlessly chic whether it's winter or or summer they've got premium european linen dresses blouses and shorts from 30 dollars. you've got washable silk tops really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more like truly the list goes on and on and the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello there and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we're not experts. No, we're not. But we're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Indeed we do, Dory. And if you would like to learn more about us or the serums we like, you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com, for links to everything we talk about on each show. You can follow us on Twitter, at forever35pod, and Instagram, at forever35podcast. And you can join the Forever 35 Facebook group, where the password is serums. And there is also a Forever 35 subreddit. Whew. It's true. <laughs> um, if you want to reach us directly, you can do that too. 
There is a number 781-591-0390 where you can leave us a voicemail. You can also text us at that number and you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. You may also email us a voice memo. (laughs) Did you just really say memo? I did. That was cute. That was cute. (laughs) And if you like listening to us gab here on the show, we really appreciate positive reviews on ye old Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps people find the show. It helps us, I don't know, makes us feel good about ourselves. (laughs) And that's what this is about. That's really why we're here. Yep. 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 But sincerely, it does help people find our show and get information about our show. So thank you for doing that. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. <sighs> well, okay. Mm. I just spent like an hour removing my fake nails. Oh. It was a lot of work to get them off. Wow. How did you how did you get them off? You you are supposed to soak in warm water. I mean, you can use um what's that stuff called that I can't remember, that nail polishy stuff. Acetone? Acetone. Yep. You can use acetone, but that ruins the fake nail. So if you want to keep the fake nail to use again, you soak in warm, soapy water and just kind of pry. And uh, it was a journey. But that takes a long time. It took a long... The nails were very quick to put on, but it took about an hour to get every single one of them off. Wow. Okay. That is good to know for anyone contemplating going on this nail journey like Kate Spencer. Going on the fancy fake, fancy press on nail journey with me. But I'm going to do it again. I liked them. I have to say. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Uh, But I am, I'm very, I'm very tired. That's like kind of all I could muster today in Mm. terms of doing things because it's, it's been a wild ride over here in my house. So yeah. What's been going on? Well, I, I've been on a, um, some tight work deadlines. So I'm, you know, very stressed Uh, and I might, Husband is also on work deadlines, and then we've got our kids here. And then my youngest daughter tested positive for strep throat yesterday. So that Yikes. was exciting. But she does not have COVID. I found that out a couple hours ago. So that is Great. good news. Yes. But, you know, there was the whole like, oh, this child is really sick. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, it's a mystery, a masking mystery, but she somehow got sick and we had to go to the doctor and she had to get like the really mega nostril COVID tests. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a strep test. It's like the two worst uh, poking tests. Yuck. Especially for like a seven year old, you know, she yeah, was. Yeah, it's not fun. She, not fun. She had not had the uh, super invasive nostril test yet, but she did it. Mm. She did a great job. Um, but she has strep throat. Hopefully the rest of us are not going to get it. She's on antibiotics, but that was just a little bit of a like, oh, oh boy, you know, yeah. and plus, you know, having to go to the doctor and go to the doctor when you have a cough and a runny nose is, um, like you, there's a whole extra level of procedures when you are sick yeah. and going to the pediatrician. So that was just interesting. That was just part Oof. of our... But I'm, you know, grateful she did not test positive for coronavirus Mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for antibiotics and our Mm -hmm. access to them. But I will say like this last week I've been working, you know, like working all day and then like doing dinner and putting people to bed and then going back out and working for like two to three more hours. And I'm, I basically like don't know how to take care of myself when I'm under a lot of 
professional stress. Does this happen to you? Yeah. Uh, Like last night I had like crackers for dinner. Like I I can barely wash. I just kind of all the like things I do that kind of calm me and like make me feel good. I just am like, I can't do them. I don't have time. I don't know. I go into this like weird survival mode that doesn't feel good. So today I'm like exhausted and I just, I like think I'm going to go to bed at like seven o'clock. I'm so tired. You know, I went to bed early last night and then was up at like five 15. Ooh, no. Like tried to go back to sleep and I just couldn't. And it does make me think sometimes that like our bodies are just like, no, this is actually the set amount of sleep that we want you to get. Yes. And like, if you try to get more sleep by going to bed early, we're just going to wake you up super early. <laughs> you know, my body does this too. And it like makes me angry. But it's I, annoying. Do th- I do think you're on to something like there are some nights when I'm really tired and I'm like, I'm off to get nine hours of sleep. And then after seven hours, my body's like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. It's annoying. I'm glad it's you got very- some rest, though. I'm glad you tucked yourself in early. I did. I tucked myself in early. Um, well, I'm excited for the update that you're going to share with us today because you have found a way to give back during this challenging time. What a nice intro. Thank you, Kate. Um, Yeah. So I'm helping people here in Los Angeles make vaccine appointments. Some people who I only know like through other people started something called get out the shot LA and they have a website. It's www.gotsla.org. So get out the shot la.org. Um, and they have a Facebook group and they set it up kind of inspired by similar movements in New York and other places where broadly speaking, kind of younger, more technologically savvy people were helping seniors and other people who were maybe not super familiar with how all the vaccine appointment websites worked, didn't have the time to like figure it out, sort through, wait to get the appointments. um, And so kind of started booking appointments for other people. And it's become a little bit more kind of formalized. I mean, it's all very ad hoc. It's not like it's all volunteer. There's no like budget. People just kind of decided to do this. Um, But it is a really easy way for technologically savvier people to help other people get vaccinated. Yeah. So it's cool. Like they set up this hotline or they, no, they call it a warm line. Sorry. <laughs> um, they set up this warm line where you call and leave a message and you just kind of tell them who you are and um, what sort of eligibility category you're in. And then someone calls you back and takes down all your information and then finds you a vaccine appointment essentially. Um, And it's, but it's really, it's not really intended for people who kind of just want like a concierge (laughs) vaccine appointment service. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really, it's really meant for people who for whatever reason do not have the resources again, time, technology, know how, language barrier, whatever it is to make the appointment themselves. So it's pretty cool. That is really, that is very cool, especially because there's been a lot of 
disparity in terms of who can get the vaccine and who is who the vaccine is reaching and who needs it the most. I think it's I think it's really important the work that you are doing, Dory. Oh, thank I admire you, Kate. It. I admire um, and we should yeah. clarify this is not a group of like for people who are quote unquote vaccine chasing. This is like a group of people serving Correct. the community of eligible recipients of the vaccine. Yes, exactly. Um, and we are instructed to gently turn away people who are not eligible and, you know, say that they can check back when their eligibility tier comes up. Um, and, you know, I just want to say if there isn't something similar in your city, start one. Yeah, I was amazed at how quickly this got off the ground. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm in the group, the Facebook group, but I have not participated as a volunteer yet. So yeah, um, like people just kind of decided to do it and got it up and running. So I think it's totally something that if this if this sounds, you know, interesting to you and you want to help people in your community, I think this is this is totally within your grasp to do. Especially now because actually I was thinking about this because our guest today, Julia Tertian, talks about volunteering kind of as great self-care and in-person volunteer opportunities are kind of limited now. Yeah. So this is a great way to get involved. You just need to be able to make phone calls. Yeah, that's awesome. Good suggestion, so, Dory. Thanks, Kate. Um, yeah. It, and, you know, I think there's other people who have been figuring out logistics of like getting people to their appointments who might not have transportation. That is not what this is. This is kind of strictly focused on just finding and making the appointments. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to mention it because I just started doing it. It's fun. And, you know, you get to you get to help people out. Did you get to chat with anyone? Like did did you get to talk to the people who you're trying to find shots for? Yeah, I mean, I don't get like super chatty because <laughs> you do have to like get a lot of information. Okay, okay. Um but yeah. You know, you just you just kind of have to ask cuz when you make an appointment, they ask for a ton of information. Yeah. Ugh. So that's the other thing too is like it's nice to be doing it sort of under the auspices of even if it's an ad hoc organization because you want people in the community to trust you to give you all this personal information. Like they're giving you their date of birth and their address and their insurance number. And you know what I mean? So yeah, that's a lot of info. It's a lot of info. So yeah. So I would check out gotsla.org if you are interested in learning more, whether it's for Los Angeles or for your own city. If any listeners are doing this, I would love to hear about their experiences. Maybe they can share some resources as well. Yeah. yeah Bring it please. on. Bring on the vaccine appointments. <laughs> yes. And soon we're getting to teachers here in Los Angeles, which is really exciting. Yeah. By the, by, time the time, this airs, by the time this airs, we will be, teachers will be eligible. So if any teachers need help, contact Dory. She'll find you an appointment. <laughs> Yeah, just go to gotsla.org and um, there's a thing up top that says, I need help getting a shot. That's awesome. <laughs> and you can um, you can either call or fill something out on the website. So, Dory, you, you mentioned volunteering and our guest today. I did. I did, I did. And we had the 
pleasure, the immense pleasure of getting to talk to Julia Tertian for an hour. We really wouldn't let her go. No, we wouldn't. (laughs) She was... And she was Just, kind enough to indulge us. Yes. We we're like, wait, 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 wait. One more thing. One more question. Oh, and then we were like, oh, wait, wait. wait. Actually, wait. That, that reminds me. One other thing. <laughs> but Her, she's so cool. And just a, a beacon of compassion and kindness and community and her new book her new cookbook which is called simply julia is just really wonderful and she even writes about volunteering in in her cookbook yeah 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 yeah. she does it's such a it's a really moving cookbook i haven't i'm i'm gonna try one of the recipes from it this week actually i'm gonna be putting some of them into my meal plan please enjoy our interview with julia be inspired by her cookbook she's truly wonderful one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why united Healthcare offers a variety of flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more so whether you're between jobs coming off a parent's plan or even missed open enrollment you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass, but this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now they dissect issues women face in the U.S., and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college, so this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes! Get into it with Masterclass, because this is the year you can really learn from the best to Become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss, or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe Capture Your Vision Through Photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. 
you know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get or, into okay, it. Hey, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh god, like get this off of me." <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. 
Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. Our guest today is Julia Tertian. Julia, welcome to Forever 35. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I am 35 years old. I feel like I should share that. <gasps> so. Wow. Perfect. <laughs> we nailed this. <laughs> Perfect podcast for you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to read your bio and then we will just get into it. Great. Um, yeah, that's never not awkward. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, go for it. It's please. a great bio, though. Um, oh, Julia is the best-selling author of Now and Again, which was named the best cookbook of 2018 by Amazon and an NPR great read. Feed the Resistance, named the best cookbook of 2017 by Eater. And Small Victories, named one of the best cookbooks of 2016 by the New York Times and NPR. She also hosts the IACP-nominated podcast, Keep Calm and Cook On. And her new cookbook, Simply Julia, came out on March 2nd. Um, and Kate and I both loved it, but we will get to that Um in a bit. And she also sits on the Kitchen Cabinet Advisory Board for the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, is a member of God's Love We Deliver's Culinary Council, and is the founder of Equity at the Table, an inclusive digital directory of women and non-binary individuals in food. Mm. All accurate. <laughs> Phew. Okay, good. Uh, well, you know, like I said, we're so thrilled to have you on. We love your cookbook. Um, but we do always like to start our interviews by asking our guests about a self-care practice that they have. So do you have something that is kind of a regular self-care practice for you? Um, I think cooking is for me very much. And that's part of my daily life. And yeah. Two other things. Am I allowed to name more than one? Is that okay? Yes. Oh, yeah. You can okay. name 25. Well, we can <laughs> um, go for so it. The, the two other things that come to mind. I'm a big uh, walker. <laughs> I take a lot of long walks. Um, that's a big thing for me. Like I feel very, I notice when I don't, like it feels mm. different. Um, so that's a big thing for me. And lastly, I spend a lot of time very horizontal on my couch watching a lot of Bravo. And I think that is really important. <laughs> and it's, it's a big part of my life, too. And it's a, a way I definitely like sort of discharge some energy, I would say. So those are my three cooking, any, walking, Bravo, <laughs> any particular Bravo shows? Oh, um, below deck, big time, like, every single version um some of the real housewives but not all of them and not because i think one is better than the other i've just like some i've watched forever and some i just have it and i'm like oh my god it's too much to catch up on and it's it a stresses lot. me out yeah <laughs> so but yeah those can, are the, like the main two can i inquire about mm -hmm. the healing powers of below deck because i feel like <laughs> this is a show i've never seen it but this is a show that i think is a, a like a passionate favorite for people. Can you tell us 
what it's about, like just uh, just what it gives you? Sure. I mean, we'll probably never talk about my cookbook, but that's fine. I'd rather talk about Blue Deck. <laughs> Six <laughs> hours later. You have, to, you have to give me like a time limit. Um, so, okay, for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, Below Deck is basically a contemporary sort of upstairs, downstairs reality show. It's about... Um, the staff on super yachts and it's yeah it's a reality program so these cameras follow them around and each episode is like a different charter so like different people coming to stay on the boat for like a few days um so you get these it's sort of like natural episodes because each time it's like this different group of people and their characters you know anyone who's like renting out a super yacht and wanting to have that filmed for television like Mm -hmm. that's i think a certain group of people um and then with the staff you're having you know i don't know how many people are on it let's say like six or eight people or something and you know they're living in these like close quarters and they're doing this hard work and that's just like built in drama and i personally gravitate towards it because i used to work for a long time as a private chef and Mm. i never did on boats um but i've met some people who have and like i feel like boat people are just characters so you're like watching these just like natural characters so i feel like i had my experience being a private chef so i feel very like i don't know I don't know. It just like speaks to me or something. It makes me grateful that I'm out of that (laughs) world. But I don't know. At the end of the day, it's like you're just watching people just try and get through the day. And, you know, it's about their relationships and stuff. And I mean, it's just silly, but I don't know. I enjoy it. I think watching other people's drama unfold makes me just feel relaxed. And I don't know Mm -hmm. what that says about me, but I know I'm not alone because these shows are really popular. So... You're Those not alone. Thoughts. Yeah. Well, and also it's it's always interesting, like you create, like cookbooks are such a big part of self-care for people. And so it's always interesting. It's cool that cooking is also included in your self-care practice, but I also love hearing what self-care makers then do mm. for their own care. Yeah. I mean, I spend this really wonderful, like relaxing, um, like often meditative time in my kitchen. I feel really confident when I'm cooking. I feel really Mm. calm. That's what I want everyone to feel. And that's what I try to get across in my books. And then I think the thing I don't share is I then take that food and I bring it over to the couch and my wife and I turn on Bravo. (laughs) And that's where it gets consumed. So I'm sharing like the, you know, Uh. high low, high low. So... I love yeah. that because in in this in simply Julia, I feel like there's a moment where you're like, I'm at my I forget exactly where and how you said it, but you're like, I'm at my most at ease and happiest when I'm just like in the kitchen cooking and there's music playing, and you set up such a beautiful vision that like last night I was making my Hello Fresh dinner box and I put on music and I was like, this is I'm gonna relax, and it kind of worked. Uh, is that is that just a is that your space? Like, how do you set up the, what elements are needed in your cooking space in order to be, for it to be a space of self-care? Or is that just your most natural environment to be in? Yeah. I mean, I think it's my most natural environment. Like my home kitchen is my favorite kitchen. Um, but I feel very at home in most kitchens and it's, you know, 
always where I want to be. But in terms of like the specific things I have in my kitchen that make me feel, I don't know, as calm and collected as I do in that space. I mean, some of those things are, we have a lot of natural light in our kitchen. There's a lot of windows Mm -hmm. and very lucky to have that. And I think that makes a really big difference. There's like a lot of sunshine. Um, you know, good vitamin D. Um, My wife and our two dogs are often within view. We have like a big table in the kitchen and uh, she's usually there or our TV room where we watch all the Bravo. (laughs) That is like open to our kitchen. So that's kind of, you know, like the center and like the heart of our house. So I'm seeing her and our dogs, you know, the three people. Oh, gosh, I just called my dogs people. (laughs) The the three kind of um, people. The three beings. The three beings. The three beings. I feel like I just, I'm like, I'm turning red and I'm grateful it's a podcast. Um, The three beings that I love so much. I'm like seeing them. Um, So that's really nice. And yeah, I have a lot of space in my kitchen, which is such a luxury. So I can, I'm not, um, you know, like things aren't piled on top of each other. So I really appreciate that. And I think the thing that I most enjoy, yeah, the thing that makes me feel the calmest when I'm cooking has nothing to do with things at all, mm. nothing to do with these objects or um, atmosphere. It's when I have time and I'm not, even if it's a short amount of time, but if there's no rush. Mm. And my favorite thing is cooking, not actually like a specific meal right when I'm going to eat it. I mean, I enjoy doing that, but I love like on the weekend often we're part of a CSA. So, you know, we pick up produce from the farm nearby and like, I love bringing that home and like cleaning a bunch of stuff and like cooking a bunch of stuff and then putting in the fridge. And I'm like, okay, future self, like I've got you taken care of. And that kind of cooking that has no deadline attached to it and feels like I'm taking care of me and my wife tomorrow, but I'm doing it today, like that feels really good. So it's like just time is is something that I really value. That's one of the tips you have in your book that I was like, oh, that's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're roasting a chicken, roast two. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, 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 yes. Just oh, like wow. having, having those things on hand um, is like so important, of course. Um, but yes, let's get to your cookbook. Um, and actually, I mean, why don't we why don't we start there? Um, just in terms of some of the things that you recommend, I loved I loved the organization of your cookbook. You have all these mm. great lists. It's it's very user friendly, um, which some cookbooks aren't. I will also say I really appreciated that your your recipes were not super complicated. They had you know. Not a ton of ingredients. All the ingredients are things that you can easily get. And, you know, it's just, it's really helpful. So thank you for that. Um, You're very welcome. Yeah. (laughs) I have a a wonderful list that resonated with me called Seven Ways to Use Leftover Buttermilk, which I feel like this has been needed forever. So thank you. Yeah. I'm so pleased all these things resonated for both of you because they're things I obviously put like a lot of thought into. And um, my goal with this book, I mean, with all my work, but especially with this book was just to be as useful as possible and, you know, user friendly and also just 
Yeah, all the things you said, just like super, super functional and respond to questions that I've been asked a lot that I just hear get asked a lot. Mm. One, for example, is I feel like I've heard so many people talk about they've made, you know, a cake recipe or a cornbread recipe or something like that, that called for one cup of buttermilk, but buttermilk doesn't come in cup uh, bottles, right. it comes in a quart <laughs> container, which is four cups. So you use the one and then you have three cups and it's sitting there in the back of your refrigerator and you have no idea what to do with it. And I just, I've noticed that. <laughs> and I just thought, let me share some ideas because buttermilk is a fantastic ingredient that can be used in so many different things. And it also like keeps forever, like the expiration date, it, like doesn't really mean anything. Like it keeps mm. so well. Um, I mean, d- like... Don't push that too far. <laughs> like, I don't want anyone getting sick. Three but years just... later. <laughs> I heard on a podcast that Julia Tertian said I could use this, uh, this old buttermilk. Vintage. This is the buttermilk we Vintage. use every Christmas. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, it's too funny. Yeah, so it's like things like that. Like, I just, I don't know. I really, I think about, I just think about the people who buy cookbooks and I think a lot about the people who are, I don't know, kind enough to have any interest in mine and I just value them and I value the money you're spending on work I've done and I value the money you're going to spend on ingredients and the time you're investing and, you know, whether it's reading the book or cooking out of it, like those are things I do not take for granted and I just want to give you as much as I possibly can between like the two covers of the book to get like the best value for your investment like that feels really important to me and um yeah yeah well without giving away too much of what is in the book because we we do want our listeners to purchase it or take it out from the library um these these things are covered in your book but for the sake of our listeners could you give a quick rundown of some key items that people should have in their pantries and kitchens and as you point out pantry can mean a shelf it's not mm-hmm. like people need a big elaborate pantry yeah totally um well i will first say like i really appreciate what you mentioned before about you know the simplicity of the recipes like these are definitely like the easiest simplest recipes i've ever done and all my recipes have always been pretty simple but like these are just like the easiest and my favorite thing i hear is when anyone takes a look at the book and they find a recipe that they're interested in and then they realize they already have all the ingredients, they don't have to go to the store. That to me is like the best moment. Like I live for that. And so in terms of the things that I always keep on hand, they're pretty similar to the things most people keep on hand. And I, you know, included a list of a bunch of these things at the beginning of the book. Um, But like off the top of my head, some of these are on the list and some aren't like I always have eggs I always have olive oil. I always have salt. I always have cheese. Grace, my wife and I have been, I feel like over the course of the pandemic, I don't know, you're asking about self-care. I think I'm going to add one more thing to the list. It's just like melt cheese on anything. (laughs) Like that's all I want to eat. So we have that, you know, and then we have like things like pasta and rice and stuff. And I'm a big, big believer in really using your freezer and putting your freezer to work. And Mm. so I always have things like um, chicken and fish in the freezer that are like wrapped really well and in small portions. So they defrost easily. Like again, always thinking of future self. I I keep a lot of frozen vegetables, whether they're ones I purchased frozen from like, you know, the freezer aisle, or if it's, you know, sometimes I'll buy like extra greens and blanch a bunch 
and then put them like mm. in Ziplocs and stuff. And I throw those into like soup and stuff all the time, like things where they're going to cook down anyway. Like that's a big go-to for us, um, like chicken broth and greens and then some like pasta or something. Like we eat that like at least once a week. Anyway, so yeah, those are some things, but it's like, it's nothing wild. It's, you know, yeah. kind of just, and it should be, you know, what I want to keep in my pantry, which just means like what I want to keep within reach. It's, you know, if you like those things, great. Get those things too. If you don't, don't get those things. Like you shouldn't like have stuff you don't like or you're not going to use. So I feel like throughout the whole book, you know, I'm always suggesting like variations and things you can serve things with. And just, I feel like I just want to constantly remind people that recipes can be adjusted and you should make them yours because you're the one eating it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And then same goes for your pantry. Like, yeah. I really love that you recommended better than bouillon because oh. I have a mm -hmm. bunch of it in my fridge. And I feel like you are the first, it's the first cookbook I've ever seen to be like, hey, this stuff. It's this really good. Great. Yeah. Isn't it good? It's Which kind do you have? Chicken and beef. I don't have yeah. vegetable, which I think is what you might have been speaking about, but I'll yeah. get it. Yeah. I haven't tried the beef one. Um, we are talking about this like bouillon paste. I mean, that mm -hmm. might sound not so appealing, but it's great stuff. It's basically, think about how you might have miso paste that you add to hot water to make like super quick, delicious broth. Mm. Same thing. And it's basically, you know, it's like a bouillon cube, but not in a dry little cube that's hard to break up. It's like this paste that you can just stir into hot water. And is it like the same thing as like chicken stock you've simmered for, I don't know, six hours lovingly on your stove? <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's a different thing. And it's totally, right. it's totally like, I feel like this might sound like a diss and I don't mean it as one. It's like, it's good enough. Like it's really, like it's solid and it's dependable and it like doesn't go bad along with the buttermilk. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah. I, I appreciate it because I think so often the like parameter, if you're a, like an amateur cook as I am, Dory, maybe you also identify as one, you're more advanced than I am, but, <laughs> uh, but oftentimes you look at a recipe or you look at the things needed and it's like, like you said, the six hour bone broth that you stewed and it's like immediately that turns me off or, or makes me feel like I can't do it. So when you have these things that are good enough, it really does make things feel more accessible and attainable. Yeah, because I, I, I agree. And I think that home cooking should feel exactly that way, accessible and attainable. Like, you don't have to make complicated food. I don't want to eat complicated food for every meal. I don't want to eat it for most meals. Like, I like really simple stuff. And I think most people do. And, you know, I just always, I feel like I'm a broken record everyone I talk to, I'm just like, when was the last time you had a baked potato? Mm. <laughs> a baked potato is so good. <laughs> like, it's delicious. And it's just, you put the potato in the oven, like, end of story. Like, <laughs> very easy. I had a, I had a baked sweet potato last week. So good. Uh, for yeah. dinner. And, and my husband was like, you're just eating a, a, a sweet potato? And I was like, mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course. Um, so yes, I appreciate that. Um, I, you had this quote in the beginning of your book where you say, what I've come to realize is you can believe in home cooking and also sometimes feel tired of it. Mm. Which I was like, yes. <laughs> um, what would you suggest for people who are in a cooking rut? 
Mm. I mean, I feel like most people are in one lately. Um, I know I have been. (laughs) Um, You know, when I started working on this book, I didn't, it was about a year before the pandemic when I started working on it. I obviously had no idea that it would be coming out at essentially the year anniversary of most of us spending more time than ever at home, you know, if we're lucky enough to do so. And I, I just, yeah, I didn't know I was writing a book that was pretty well timed for this time, but I think it is Mm -hmm. because as we're talking about like super simple, very accessible recipes, but also, I don't know. I feel like the recipes are fun (laughs) and, there's I had fun coming up with them. I had fun making them. I have fun when I, rem, you know, flip through the book and remember things that I haven't made in a little bit because, you know, the book went to print mm. a, a few months ago. Um, there are certain things I make all the time, but there's a few things where I'm like, oh, right, like I got to make that. It's been a bit. And I just feel like if you're in a rut of any kind, whether it's with cooking or whatever it is, whatever, you know, essential activity or an essential one that feels important to you, you know, whether it's like what you do to move your body or whatever it might be. Like if you're in a rut about it, for me, at least the best thing is to do something fun. I think that's the best way to kind of break out of it. So I like to encourage people like my favorite question. It's the question I ask everyone who comes on my podcast is what was your favorite thing to eat when you were growing up? So that's a fun question to ask yourself and then make that thing or buy that thing and eat it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think when you tap into really good and happy memories, which food I think allows us to access pretty easily. I mean, it can bring up not great stuff too. Um, But hopefully everyone has, you know, at least one kind of happy thing associated with food. Like, think about what that thing is and then eat it. (laughs) You know, like that's that's a way to remember the joy that I think can come with cooking and eating. I think that's a really nice first step. I think also making something you haven't made before, like make it kind of, you know, a little um, adventure. (laughs) Um, That's great. I think food can be an escape in a really great way, like maybe... I don't know, I'm looking out my window right now and snow is covering the ground where I live. And, you know, so maybe like I'll, I don't know, tonight go make a pina colada or something and pretend I'm at a beach, you know, like it. food lets you do that kind of stuff, which I just think, I think we don't talk about fun just enough. <laughs> and I think cooking is a way to do that. I mean, cooking is also like tedious and you make a mess and you have to clean it up and all those things that are very real. But I think there's a lot of potential for just joy and fun. And I think leaning into that is a nice way to break out of the rut. I love the idea of cooking. <clears throat> excuse me. I love the idea of cooking your favorite dish from your childhood. It's like the ultimate comfort food. Yeah. And talk about like taking care of oneself. Like, yeah. Yeah. To you know, like my favorite thing is chicken soup, and when I make it, I just I feel like I'm I'm taking care of myself, and I feel like I'm in touch with all the women in my family for so many generations who have made the same thing, right? Like I feel so deeply connected. Um, I feel like I'm taking care of my wife; she loves it too, and we sit down and eat it together. Like it's just it feels so good to make this thing that I love so much, and I feel so capable. Like I'm like, oh, I can make this thing that means so much to me. Like that's a great feeling. So I think that's a really wonderful thing to kind of tap into and remember. Like you can provide that for yourself. 
You write so beautifully about Grace in the book, and she's just this like lovely presence throughout. Um, and I guess I'm wondering what role has food kind of, and I, this is, I admit, this is a very broad question, but from your perspective, what role has food played in your relationship? Mm. I mean, it's played a huge role. I mean, huge, because obviously it's my uh, career and, and you know, main interest aside from Below Deck and my dogs. <laughs> um, you know, they're all tied in first place, I guess. But, um, you know, it's food is my day-to-day -day life. And it is all of ours, right? Like, yeah. I write cookbooks, so it's a bigger part of my day-to-day -day life. But, you know, whether you are, you know, you do what I do for a living, or you work in a restaurant, or, you know, or not, like, if you're not involved in the food industry whatsoever, it's still like a central part of your day. So, you know, this just sounds really, like, simple and basic, but I just think it's worth saying, like, our day-to-day -day lives are are whole lives, right? <laughs> like that's what makes yeah. up our lives. So my day-to-day -day life revolves around food and it revolves also very much around my marriage. You know, Grace and I have both worked from home our entire relationship. Like not only is I think this new cookbook very well suited for right now, like our lives were very well suited for a pandemic, which is not something I ever knew before, you know, living through one. Um, but we have been used to being like home together all day with each other for years. And, you know, food is this way where, you know, it's the moment we're sitting at the table together or we're sitting on the couch next to each other while we're watching TV. And it's, it's this way where I think I'm able to um, tap into just, I, I don't know, I don't mean to sound so cheesy, but just like how much I love her. <laughs> like, yeah. it lets me really be considerate in a way that I really appreciate. Like, I don't know, we're watching a commercial for something. Everything goes back to TV, apparently. <laughs> um, but, you know, something pops up on a commercial and she'll be like, oh, man, like, that looks so good or whatever. I'm making this up. But then I like, you know, I put that in my little mental filing cabinet. And then I'm like, yeah, we should have nachos. Mm. <laughs> like it all goes back to TV and melted cheese. Um, so, you know, I get to, um, yeah, be considerate and just get to express like, hey, I'm listening. I'm paying attention. Like you mentioned this the other day and now I'm making it. And I think it also, um, you know, food and cooking let me in all the ways we've talked about take care of myself. And I think that's mm -hmm. a really important thing within my relationship, um, you know, within any relationship, like doing whatever you need to do to make yourself and, and keep yourself as satisfied and happy and present as possible. Like that changes how I, um, you know, react and like behave in reaction to the other person that I'm next to, you know, so it's sort of like that. Yeah. Put your mask on first type of thing for me. Yeah. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. 
not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering crappiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Okay, we're back. I I so much of what I hear you saying and what I kind of gather from your book is is food is this and cooking is an expression of like of love for others and you know I see that a lot like Dory's gotten very into baking challah and baking bread which is like not just something uh, Dory I'm putting words in your mouth but that you do for yourself but you also like give it to your son and it's your husband loves it and it's that's something that I really thought about as I was doing kind of work examining like my disordered eating and my body image issues is is having is remembering the role that food has played in a loving way in my life because so often it was something I ha I've, I've had such a contentious relationship with and so I really appreciate that you talk about that in this cookbook um, you have this whole beautiful essay called on the worthiness of our bodies this is as I mentioned earlier I think when I started kind of getting choked up reading this reading your cookbook. Um, what what inspired you to to share that side of yourself in in this book? Sure. Um I'm I so appreciate you sharing that about your own like personal experience and um that sort of tension between like 
having a disordered relationship to eating, which I totally identify with. I have experienced the same for most of my life. Um, and also remembering food can be really loving and not scary. And um, I mean, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I just, I oh, feel like, yeah. yeah. So the essay that you are talking about is, you know, it's definitely to me the um, kind of heart of the book mm. and the most vulnerable part of the book. And it's the part that I'm just so happy it's in there. And what it is for anyone who, you know, obviously hasn't read it, it's um, this like short essay that's just kind of like a reflection on what we're talking about right now, just sort of like body image and essentially like internalized fat phobia and stuff. And I thought it was really important to include because I wrote a book that has healthy in the subtitle, mm. you know, this is a book of healthy comfort food recipes. That's, you know, how it's packaged, how it's sold. And I really just wanted to interrogate throughout the whole book, like, what does healthy mean? And what does it mean to me? And, you know, I think it's a word that's for all of us to define for ourselves. And for me, it's been a word that's been really hard to define because I used to confuse it with skinny. I thought mm. they meant the same thing. And in learning that healthy and skinny are not, in fact, synonyms, <laughs> um, that has helped me just kind of detangle myself from the incredibly fraught relationship I've had with eating. I've always had this pretty positive relationship with cooking, even though I think at times it was like for me a real control thing. Honestly, writing cookbooks, it's like, what a amazing sense of control over food. Like, I'm going to tell you down to like, you know, the tablespoon, <laughs> like what to do. And having had a pretty disordered relationship with food for so long, you know, I do think that's definitely part of what drew me to my work in food. But I think it's also what's always reminded me that on the other side of that coin is a lot of pleasure and a lot of fun and a lot of just, um, I don't know, being really in touch with my like intuitive just self. And I think that it's important to acknowledge in a cookbook. Yeah. That's about healthy food to really just like talk about this. And, you know, I am really proud to have written a healthy cookbook. That's not about weight loss. I think that's really important. And, um, yeah, I just feel like I'm rambling, but this is like such an important topic. I'm so glad you brought it up because it, it's meaningful to me to hear what it meant to you and your reaction to it. Because I know that for so long, I, in this whole topic that we're talking about, like, I felt so lonely. I felt mm -hmm. so isolated mm -hmm. in these feelings. I felt like for years, I was selling this really happy version of food, like here, buy this cookbook. It's, you know, happy recipes. But then I was feeling guilty about what I was eating. I was feeling scared of what I was eating. I was restricting things. I was not trusting myself. And you know, in writing this essay and then sharing it in the book, almost everyone I've spoken to like brings up this essay. And that is really telling to me because I know that I'm not alone in feeling these things. And to feel less alone in this feels really powerful. And yeah, so um, yeah, thank you for sharing your reaction to it. Because that is the point, you know, to feel more connected and less alone. So I know I do right now, like in this present moment. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a big deal, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You also write that watching The Matrix helped reframe your thinking <laughs> about diet culture. <laughs> that which, was 
Very good timing. <laughs> I'm really impressed with how you just just, just wanted yeah. to, you know, yep. introduce some levity to this yep, very yep, yep, serious yep. conversation. Yep. Uh, although you, you know, you do say that. Um, <laughs> can can you talk about why? <laughs> yeah. So just as all roads go back to television and melted cheese for me, they, they really? also go. Yeah, they also go back to Grace, my wife, who has been just the most magnificent support in my life in so many ways, including helping me really even identify what a pretty miserable place I was in, in in terms of my relationship with my body. And um, she, of the many things she kind of, you know, really held my hand through, one of the things she suggested was that I finally watched The Matrix, which I had never seen because I was too busy watching Below Deck, apparently. <laughs> and she just kept saying, like, Julia, diet culture is the matrix. And I was like, okay, I think I know what you mean. She's like, you just have to watch the movie. And so finally I gave in and I watched it. And it's like so not my type of movie, but I really liked it. I mean, it was popular for a reason. And um, it just all made sense to me. And I was like, oh, diet culture is the matrix. Like it is the matrix. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, I'm sure I was probably the only one, but it's just like, you know, how do you explain the matrix? It's like, you think this is the world, but it's not like there's other options. And that is how I felt about diet culture. I didn't know there were other options. Like I thought being fat was something to be terrified of because that's what I was taught and modeled and, you know, that you should push against that. I was taught that fat was unhealthy which it isn't inherently, you know, and I just, I, I took these things as truth and I didn't question them. I didn't know you could question them. Um, so now when I think about these things, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just the matrix. <laughs> like there's, there's that. another option and it's just really, it's given me this really helpful framework and it totally sounds silly, but it's like, I don't know, it's been really helpful for me. So just like I like sharing, you know, here's things to do with the other three cups of buttermilk. I also want to share like, here's what I've learned in like therapy and in my marriage that has been really helpful because mm. I think there's a place for that in a cookbook that's about healthy comfort. You know, I yeah. think this conversation is important. It's just as important as the recipes, if not more so. No, I mean, I definitely chuckled when I read that, but I was also <laughs> like, I think I, yeah, I get it. Um, and I yeah. would guess that this is probably the first cookbook that mentions the matrix. <laughs> I, mean, I would be so curious to know if that's true or not. And maybe there is a Matrix cookbook. We don't. Know. I mean, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you actually about a photo in the book um, where you are wearing a T-shirt that says "Food Justice is Social mm. Justice," and I'm just wondering what does food justice mean to you? Mm. That's a great question, um, and I will just quickly say that t-shirt you're referring to it's the back of a t-shirt from an organization called drive change which is based in new york city and it's a re-entry program um and for young people coming out of um just the criminal quote-unquote justice system um and it's an amazing organization so i just want to give some credit to that t-shirt and i'm glad you noticed it food justice I think is a term that means a lot of different things. And I think just like healthy, I think it's something people define in very different ways. And I'm always very interested in, in how people define it. But I will tell you what it means to me and not just tell you that it means different things. <laughs> to me, food justice is the just total understanding that we all have a right 
to healthy, affordable, accessible, like nutritious, fresh food that's, you know, culturally appropriate, by which I mean, like, it represents who we are and who we come from and who we feel connected to. And that is just a human right and doing whatever we can to make that available and possible for everyone, you know, not just ourselves, but the people around us. So I think a lot of people go about fighting for food justice in a number of ways, whether it's, you know, I I don't know, like working on behalf of people who work in um, like poultry processing plants during Mm -hmm. COVID, whether it's, you know, um, buying from your farmer's market, whether it's, um, you know, making other decisions about your ingredients, whether it's tipping the person who's delivering your takeout, like all of these things go back to food justice. Um, I think we're all involved in food justice or food injustice, (laughs) whether we know it or not. I think if you, if you eat and you spend money on food ingredients or prepared food of some kind, like you're making decisions about the food Mm -hmm. chain and the food system. Um, And I think a lot of people who are involved in those systems want to make us feel like we actually don't have that much decision-making power, that much control or that much influence. But I mean, we, we definitely do. So yeah, again, some rambling thoughts, but yeah, it's a big, big umbrella term. And in terms of the back of that t-shirt that says food justice is social justice for me, I don't know the reason I was like, Oh, I'll, you know, put this t-shirt on when we're taking the photos. Like that was a very intentional decision. And um, I mean, I'm a big fan of using cookbooks as kind of Trojan horses to kind of introduce some ideas or just yeah. not introduce them, but just share them or echo them, you know, talking about diet culture and a healthy cookbook, like that's a good mm-hmm. example of it. And in terms of choosing to wear that t-shirt, I just think it's an important message. And for me, all of the big, big, important issues in the world that I think are the issues we all need to face and respond to, you know, things like climate change, things like racial injustice and white supremacy and misogyny and all these things, you know, these are huge, huge topics, um, issues that affect all of us. And for me, when I look, you know, all those things feel really overwhelming to me and scary. And I'm like, what can I possibly do? And oh my gosh, such a mess. And (laughs) just, um, but when I look at these things through the lens of food, all of a sudden, it, I feel like, oh, I can do something. It feels much more tangible. It, ma- it makes me feel like it makes sense. Like some climate change stuff, I feel like is like over my head. And then I'm like, oh, no, like, look at the conditions this farmer is working in or look at what happened to this, you know, field of, uh, you know, I don't know melons or something whatever like you know you can see the impact you know look at you know the meat industry and you know cattle farms and all these things like i like i'm like oh i get it like i see what's happening here i see what's happening in the ocean um you know food makes things make sense for me and that feels really valuable and it also provides so many answers like drive change that program you know, I think about all the issues that are so wrong with like the prison industrial complex in our country. I mean, it's so, so broken. And then there's an organization like that that's using food to respond to that. And it makes sense and it's practical and it's like purposeful. And it's, 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 it's an answer. It's not the answer, but it's 
one of the answers. And mm-hmm. I just think we need all the answers. And I think food can provide a lot of them, which is, I don't know, makes me feel hopeful in a world that can sometimes feel not so hopeful. One thing um, I know, I think we've both, both Zora and I have kind of been reflecting on, but certainly I have as I kind of, you know, through the, um, through reading other people writing about this topic, I have realized how uh, whitewashed my own cookbooks are, how I have really mm. just collected cookbooks by white authors. And, you know, it, like the white supremacy is like a blinder on me. And I, I didn't even, you know, I hadn't even, I hadn't even noticed until I think I read, I read an essay, maybe possibly Samin Nostrat had written. Mm-hmm. And so, and I know this is something that you have written about and done a lot of, a lot of work toward. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on how we can actively diversify our, our cookbooks and also how we can better support um, diversity within the world of cooking. As cons- sure. as con- from the consumer side. Yeah. Um, I have so many thoughts on this. And I will just give you my practical thoughts as opposed to just my beliefs about it. So, okay, one, um, buy cookbooks written by authors of color or authors from various marginalized communities, you know, by queer authors and so on. Two, buy these books at your local independent bookstores, preferably bookstores that are owned, you know, by people who are not white, by, you know, black owned bookstores. Um, three, even if you are not using Amazon to buy your books, or if you are, leave reviews of these books, positive, glowing reviews of these books on Amazon. Mm. So many people look up books. Amazon's the first thing that comes up, and the first review or two they'll see will really have an impact on their decision about whether or not to get it. That makes a big difference. Um, I would say also, like, if you are, I don't know, if you work at, like, a university or, you know, involved in something in your town or something, if you're involved in any kind of thing that invites people to speak in any way, suggest authors to come speak and pay them to do so. Mm. That is really big. Um, So those are just some practical things. And I think most importantly, I mean, the thing that needs to change is not just... um, you know, increasing the, like, you know, just range of authors who get published, and not only who get published, but who get the right kind of support to succeed in publishing, um, by which I mean money, (laughs) to go towards promotion, um, to go towards people like, you know, to be just totally like transparent, like, I you know, have enjoyed your podcast for so long, but I didn't reach out to you directly. Like the publicist from, you know, my publishing company reached out to you, arrange all the logistics. All I had to do was show up, right? Someone else made that happen. What a joy to just come and talk to you about my work and my feelings about food. I mean, it really, I mean, it's like wonderful. But, you know, there's things that happen behind the scenes to make this happen. So it's not just about getting published. It's about getting supported to really see that book soar because you can write the best cookbook in the world. But if no one knows about it, you know, I mean, that's not that like, you know, you can, same thing can be said about music or whatever, but it's just, it's important that people are given the support and platform I think the most important thing that has to change is not just diversifying the books and the authors, but diversifying the people who get to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, So agents and editors and publishers, 
That's huge. It's, I think, happening. I think it's totally overdue, but I think it's happening. Um, But in terms of what consumers can do about that, you can let, you know, publishing houses know that this matters to you. And you can look at your favorite cookbooks, look at the spine of the book. That's always, by which I mean, like the part that sticks out on your bookshelf. (laughs) That's what we call the spine. You can look on there and it will tell you the publishing company. If you open to the title page, you'll see all of these companies have, you know, websites and PR people and stuff. And at the end of the day, the publishing industry is like any industry. It's cares about its image, (laughs) you know, and I think as consumers, if you let them know, like you're paying attention to this, you're watching who they're publishing and, Mm. you know, that I think that's valuable. I I think that can't hurt to do just like, you know, calling your state representative and stuff like I don't think it's going to change things, you know, today but i think like yeah if enough people do that if they get 10 phone calls or 10 emails like they'll notice that like and that's not a big ask (laughs) like you know 10 people to write a note like you know if you're in a cookbook club like there's a lot of those they're so great they're so cool um you know pay attention to which cookbook you're choosing for that cookbook club and you know if you notice your um, cooking from a lot of cookbooks that are coming from the same publishing house. Like there's a handful that publish most cookbooks, you know, pay attention to what they're publishing and demand, you know, or just ask <laughs> like um, <laughs> that, you know, Hey, like we notice you don't like have many books written by black authors or many books written by indigenous authors or books written by people living with disabilities. Like that's a huge hole in the cookbook industry. Like, there's so little written about the kind of intersection of, of cooking and disability. And so many people live with various disabilities. Like that's a huge gap. Um, so I think if people hear that, like there's a demand for that, like hopefully they'll respond to the demand. So yeah, those are some ideas. Those are great. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really, yeah. really helpful. I just think good to remember in general, like, you know, it's it's one thing to like, it's it's really easy to just talk about these things and like, oh, I wish it were different. And then it's like, oh, but you can actually do something to yeah ha- make that difference actually happen. Like you totally can. And I think a lot of publishers, cookbook publishers, magazine publishers, um, you know, people who get to make decisions about who whose voices get heard, right? Like who gets invested in. I honestly think a lot of them underestimate how smart and how capable their audiences are, like the people who buy their Mm. products, whether it's books or newspapers or magazines or whatever. And I think there's a lot of, um, just as you said, Kate, like a lot of whitewashing of books. You know, I think there's the assumption that they're written for white audiences. Um, Things need to be explained in a way like... And I think just, I don't know, I think sometimes like something that can kind of light a fire under people is being told that they're being underestimated. (laughs) So I think, you know, just maybe keep that in mind if that helps propel you to like, you know, yeah, write those Amazon reviews, write to the editor, you know, like letters to the editor have been around for a long time, like for a reason. So yeah, like hold people accountable, especially if they've been asked to, like Mm -hmm. if a publishing company posted a black square on their Instagram Mm -hmm. feed in like June, like hold them to it. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, I love you gave us really actionable <laughs> things to do. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I write recipes, so that's what I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's um, how you do the thing. <laughs> well, before we let you go, and thank you for spending so much time with us, we have to ask, do you have a skincare routine? And if so, what is it? <laughs> um, I have really enjoyed talking to you and I appreciate all the questions and the opportunity to just share, you know, these like tangible things and I could talk to you for so much longer. So thank you, first of all. And um, I have zero skincare routine, I which like astonishes my wife on a daily basis. <laughs> I wash my face sometimes with like water, like if I'm in the shower, I like will, you know, put my face under the shower. I don't in the winter, which it is now like I use, I don't know, you should really ask Grace about this. She has like, she, you could have like a six hour podcast. She's like cares so much about this. She knows so much about it. She's passionate about it. And it is just like not a place where we overlap. And so sometimes I reach for one of the things that just says like face lotion and I'll put it on like if my face feels dry in the winter, but like, that's it. I don't, I've never worn makeup. I mean, I have like nothing to offer here. I like, yeah, nothing. Zero. Sorry. <laughs> no, I love that and appreciate that. So thank you. I, actually I try to remember like, sunscreen. I try, but I forget, which is so bad. I should else, wear it, right? I think. Yes. But like also sometimes no routine is the routine, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There doesn't need to be one. Yeah. I drink a lot of water. Yes, that's now the you're answer. speaking Kate's language. I yeah. mean, why am I doing this, <laughs> Julia? We we just love this book so much, and we are big fans of yours. So it's been a real thrill to have you on the podcast. Um, could you let our listeners know where they can find you both online, and where, let's say, they can buy this beautiful new book or sure. any, any of your books? Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. This was a pleasure. And honestly, it flew by. I just looked at the clock uh -huh. and I can't believe what time it is. Um, you can find me online on Instagram. My handle is just my last name, which is Tertian. Um, Sorry to my brother and all my cousins, but I, <laughs> I took that. Um, and I have a website, which is just um, my name, juliatertian.com, which has all the information about everything, everywhere you can get the book, everything about like fun virtual book tour conversations I'm having. You know, I have a podcast, all of that is there. It's all there, juliatertian.com. You can get the book through there. I link to like my favorite local bookstore where I can personalize a copy for you if you want. Like everything's there, just my name. Dot com, not my name.com, juliatertian.com. <laughs> I don't know what happens if you go to my name.com. Don't hold me to that. Well, thank you, Julia. Well, thank you guys so much. This was really fun. And I just, I appreciate your time. And um, yeah, just everything you shared during this too. So thank you. Oh, I mean, she's just such a dream. I wish we could hang out with her. Yeah, all the things. All the things. Can we can we discreetly invade her friend circle and just kind of make ourselves part of the world? I know. Do you think she'd care? <laughs> all of a sudden, we moved to <laughs> New York State. Yeah. Like, what are y'all doing here in the middle of a pandemic? And we're like, well, we quarantined for 14 days and now we're part of your friend group. So <laughs> Hope that's cool. Is that all right with you? Cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I also just love like... I did get weepy reading the cookbook and yeah. There, yeah, but just the, the focus on like on 
feeding others and kind of celebrating other people. And it just was, you know, talking about how, how so much, many of our recipes were inspired by cooking for her wife and, and for the yeah. members of her community. And I just found that really moving. And it reminded me of like, of why I love food. It reminded me of my family. I don't know. It just was mm. really moving. And I, I, I'm going to ramble for one second. Like in thinking about kind of, you know, trying to exit diet culture as much as we can, like remembering the many things that food can be is so empowering, I find, because yeah. so often it's just been turned into something bad and that's it. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, it can be so many things and have such meaningful impact in so many people's lives. So I just thought her book was so moving. I agree. Oh, mm, well, well, the photograph of the phone bed that my daughter, my strep throat daughter made me is up on our yes. Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. It's on the gram. <laughs> if you want to see what it looks like when your kid goes through their sock drawer and takes out a lot of socks and makes you a really cute phone bed, we've got you covered. It's really cute. And my intention was to put my phone to bed every night last week. And I majorly failed at this. Oh, no. Well, it is what it is. Well, part of it was because I was working till like 11 o'clock every night. And then right. yes, yes, yes. And my phone would be dead. So I didn't want to I needed to charge it. It's a mm. long story, a lot of logistics, but I'm gonna I'm mm -hmm. gonna get back to it. I like using the phone, but it really, it really brightens my day. Oh, yeah, you know, that's so lovely. And what about this week? Okay. I like exercising. Yeah. I like yep, yep. pumping iron. I like stretching. I like moving, walking, okay, running, okay. biking. Yeah. But if I don't do it first thing in the morning, I'm not going to do it. Mm. I really have to start my day with physical fitness if it's going to happen. It's not going to happen after I've been like sitting and working mm. and then at 3.30, I'm not going to get up and exercise. It's just, it's not, it's miserable. I don't like it. I like doing it in the morning. So I need to schedule in my movement so that I, so that I make time to do it. Cause I, I tend to be like, I need to work. I'm not going to exercise. And then I miss yeah. exercising. My body hurts yeah. if I don't do it. So yeah, morning movement sessions with Kate Spencer are going in the calendar. I love that morning movement sessions. Morning movement. That also kind of sounds like a bowel movement session, but. Oh yeah, it's true. Also <laughs> something case, that's nice to do in the morning. Very nice to do. Might be weird to put it on your calendar. Might yeah. not. Might not, but, though. But, you know, if you if you put it on your calendar, I don't judge. I know, but can you imagine, too, if you stuck to it, like, every day, <laughs> 8 a.m.? I mean, that's the dream, I think. It is the dream, yeah. Scheduled so, poop. Okay. Scheduled poop. Anyway. Last week, Dory, tell me what you were intending, because you had some stuff going on. Yes, I was. I, I wanted to get caught up on some life admin stuff, and I did. Ooh, um, not everything, but I did get caught up on some annoying things that had just been sort of like lingering. Ugh, life admin stuff is the worst stuff. So to get caught up on it is very impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm feeling good about that. 
And then this week, so we're having a bit of a schedule change because our current nanny is leaving. We have a new nanny starting and her schedule is going to be slightly different. So I'm going to have more time with Henry in the morning. Um, so I'm thinking like, I definitely want to build in time for a morning walk with him every morning. Oh, yeah. Remember you were doing that at the beginning of Quora? Well, I was doing afternoon walks with him. Yes, that's right. That's right. And but I was, he was really, in a stroller. Yeah, and he will still be in a stroller. Okay. He's not quite at the point where you can like actually walk with him without the fear of him just bolting into the street. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um but and he still he still really likes a, a stroller walk. I mean, who doesn't? I would I would, I would like, enjoy being I would pushed like, around in a stroller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I would too. I would all very much um, like it. And, you know, I have been having some days lately where the end of the day has arrived and I've been like, oh, I didn't go outside today. Yeah. And I think this will be a good way of just like making sure that I get outside. I think that is so, I've been having the same thing where it's like all of a sudden it's four o'clock and I'm like, oh, I should breathe yeah. air outside. Totally. And feel totally. the like the sun on my skin. Yeah. <sighs> well, I like a refreshing morning walk, especially, I mean, I hate to say this because we are the spoiled Californians, but like it's getting so beautiful here right now. This is kind of like our spring. I know. I know. It's really nice out. Yeah, sorry everybody, but it's pretty here right now. <laughs> Orange trees are blooming uh, and smelling good. It's when the jasmine yeah, starts. I was just thinking that. I was like the other day, like I was on my way. I came home and got out of the car, and I was like, "Oh, mm -hmm. I love when LA smells like this." Ugh, me too. I remember I moved to LA like when it smelled like this, and I was just like, "This place is heaven." It smells so good. Yeah. So. You're right. I should like relish this time. Yeah, I mean, I though I mean, I need the reminder as well. It's like the best smelling time. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go outside and do some sniffing around. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Dory, it's uh, been a pleasure as always. Listeners, we thank you. We do for coming on this ride with us. Yeah. Forever Thirty Five is hosted and produced by me, Dory Shafrir, and Kate Spencer. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Sam Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is Acast, and we will talk to you all again very soon. Bye. Bye.